Thanks for checking out the Oasis Church podcast from Camden, Arkansas. Each week we share the message from our Sunday worship service. Join us anytime. More information at camdenoasischurch.com. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. That's good. Well, good morning, Oasis family. Hey, aren't you glad to have Margaret and Evan back with us this morning? I know. I know I am, for sure. Uh, I much prefer to uh, sing solo, um, solo you can't hear me, um, from the third row to be exact. Um, so yeah, it's, it's great to have y'all back. Um, if you want, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, that's not the only passage we'll be looking at, but it is the first one that we'll get to. Uh, I, I, I'm very grateful uh, that the Lord worked out for me to speak to you this week of all weeks. Um, because even before all the craziness that has transpired um, in the country recently, I was already wanting to speak to you on this topic, but it seems like now, um, after Wednesday, it's kind of taken on a whole new meaning. Uh, It's funny how the Lord works like that, isn't it? You see, we are in a very unique situation here in Camden, Arkansas, because we are so far removed from what seems like the world, yet for some reason we continue to feel the effects of its sickness. And we're in a day and age where the world is smaller than it's ever been, yet people are no closer now than they were before the telephone. We've just figured out new ways to share bad news, haven't we? Um, And the world is sick, and that sickness is called sin, and the only one who can cure it is Jesus Christ. But this is where we come in. Because if Jesus is the great physician, then guess where the hospital is to get that cure? It's right here, the church. Before Christ left this earth to take his seat next to the Father, um, he established his church and he said even the gates of hell would not overcome it. So that's a pretty powerful entity, wouldn't you say? Yet it feels like too often we forget who we are. Or what we're here for. Why do we come and meet together like this? So that's what I want us to look at this morning. Uh, You've probably heard before that uh, the early Christians um, back in the Roman Empire um, didn't actually call themselves Christians. Uh, The word Christian was actually a derogatory term that people would use to mock them or make fun of them, uh, like they were little Christs. Um, But what they originally considered themselves were simply followers of the way, or some would say they were followers of Jesus of Nazareth. Um, But there was no organized religion called Christianity till a little bit later. Um, Many people considered them just to be another sect of Judaism, um, like it was just some Jewish cult, if you will. Uh, But people didn't really understand understand them. They didn't know how to pin them down. They just seemed different. People would notice whenever uh, they all got together because they were always meeting together and worshiping together and doing all these uh, like crazy nice things and having community together, very much like a cult. And there's this account from back in the Roman Empire when Caesar after Caesar was trying to snuff out uh, Christianity and they all kept failing. So Caesar Hadrian sends in this philosopher um, to go find out who these people are. Um, The Christians for generations had been trying to establish that they were their own religion. And if they could do that, then by Roman law, they would be able 
to exist without government persecution. Um, so Hadrian has enough of it, and he basically sends in this guy to go um, uh, uh, like be a spy or to infiltrate the Christians, if you will. And he writes back to uh, Caesar Hadrian um, of this long apology, but here is an, expert, uh, an excerpt that I want to read to you. He wrote, Their oppressors they appease and make them their friends. They do good to their enemies. Falsehood is not found among them, and they love one another. And he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And if there is among them any that is poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. Such, O king, is their manner of living. Verily, this is a new people, and there is something divine in the midst of them. What a testimony, right? The church was established in a very dark world that God knew needed a light. Remember when we were going through the Beatitudes and we saw that God's people have always been set apart to be an example for the world. That is exactly what the church is. You see, the world has what sociologists like to call a plausibility structure. And very simply, basically, that means the way things operate. How and why people do what they do. And what the church is meant to be is a different plausibility structure inside the worldly one. It's supposed to be something that the world can look at and see, huh, there's another way of doing this. Life doesn't have to be like this. It can be better. And what it is supposed to be is that when people on the outside looking in see us in the way we live, in the way we treat each other, in the way we treat other people who aren't in our immediate circle, they can say, I want that. I want that for my life. And all throughout history, Christians have been pressed. We live in a very pressure cooker world that whenever crazy stuff happens, they want to see how we react. They want to see how we respond because remember, we're made to be examples. As times change, people are like, man, the world's never been this crazy before. Yeah, it has. It has. As long as sin's been here, the world has been like this. The, uh, uh, there are no new sins. The devil just gets a little more creative. But God has made us the church, to be the pushback against sin. We're to be the light of the world, right? A city on a hill cannot be hidden. And, 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 and I think it's important every now and then for the church to be reminded of what it's here for. Because if not, ironically, we tend to forget because we're still human. We still have a sin nature, but we forget our purpose for being here. We forget our duties and in the moment that Oasis Church is in right now, there has never been a better time for us to reassess why are we here? Why does this church exist? I think that's a very reasonable question to ask, don't you? The church has two duties. Did you know that? The church has two duties that Jesus established on the shores of Galilee away over 2,000 years ago. Well, it actually has more, but I'm generalizing. But very simply, it should be on the screen, the church exists to promote sanctification inside these doors and to promote salvation outside these doors. Promote sanctification inside these doors and promote salvation outside these doors. So let's break that down real quick. You know what sanctification is, right? It's one of those big words that we, uh, 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 that's a no-no word whenever we're sharing the gospel with kids because it's a big word and then they'll tune right out. They always told us in VBS, never use big words with kids because they'll just stop listening to you as soon as you say one. 
But what it pretty simply is, basically, it's spiritual growth. It's the process that's happening in your heart when the Holy Spirit comes in and it starts making you more holy, more like Jesus. And then the more you become like Jesus, the more you want to take your knowledge out into the world and bring others in so that they can also experience what you've got. That's promoting salvation. And then they start experiencing sanctification, and it's this beautiful circle of redemption and restoration and redemption and restoration. That's what the church does. So I want us to look at those two aspects for just a bit. And I want you to think while we're talking about it, number one, how am I doing in this area? And number two, how is Oasis Church doing in this area? The scripture in Hebrews is getting at those two fundamental aspects of the church, promoting sanctification and promoting salvation. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. We'll start reading in verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, here it is, listen. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So the book of Hebrews, uh, if there was ever a book in the Bible that was written by the church, for the church, and about the church, it's Hebrews. Uh, People have different guesses and different opinions um, on who wrote it. We don't really know who it is. It's written written like a very eloquent sermon because of the eloquent and educated Greek that it's written in. Um, But we know that whoever it was was very knowledgeable of Paul's theology. And if Paul was ever about one thing, he was about the church. Uh, We can definitely tell by the time Hebrews was written, um, the church was very well established. But as they came under constant persecution after a few generations and uh, persecution and scrutiny, many who were former Jews kept wanting to fall back into their old way of living, their old Jewish way of living back in to Judaism, and the writer of Hebrews is telling them, no, remember who you are. He's trying to remind them of the truths that, uh, of Christ that they first believed in and to hold on to them through faith. And that's exactly what's happening in chapter 10. He's saying, hey, don't forget what Christ did for you on the cross. When he died and gave up his life, he made a way, he tore the curtain between us and the Holy of Holies. Christ is now our great high priest and whose sacrifice was on our behalf forevermore. And so he says, now because of that, let's take advantage of it, and let's draw near to God. Let's get as close to him as we possibly can, because we couldn't previously do that. Uh, We used to, we would have to cleanse our entire bodies before going before God, but now our cleansing happens on the inside. It happens through sanctification here at the church, here within the gathering of the body of Christ. That's the hope we live by. That's the hope that we profess. But the writer of Hebrews is aware of the fact that for some reason, we continue to forget about that hope, don't we? We continue to forget about the gospel. 
We forget about Christ's atonement for us on the cross. And so he tells us in verse 23, I love verse 23, listen to this. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Unswervingly, not to the right, not to the left, but solid on the gospel. It's a choice, really. If you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. You have to actively choose to let the gospel give you hope. I have to actively choose to let the gospel give me hope every day. All throughout the Bible, God says, have hope, take courage. Time and time again, he's always saying that. Why? Because he knows we're forgetful people. Our hope fades way faster than it usually should. That's why he made the church. It's made so that we can give each other hope. That's why he says in verse 24 and 25, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, hashtag COVID, but encouraging one another in all the more as you see the day approaching. I mean, he's basically preaching it for me, right? I always heard if you don't know what to preach on, go to Hebrews because it just preaches itself because, I mean, it is a sermon. (laughs) But we are to be encouraging to one another and push each other to love and live the life that Jesus taught us how to live whenever he was here. Promoting sanctification. How are you doing in that area? When's the last time that you just talked to another church member outside of church? Well, you say, well, as a matter of fact, Stephen, I just saw so-and-so at Walmart the other day. Oh, that's cool. So y'all plan that, right? No? Oh, so y'all, so you usually have a different time during the week that, you know, you just talk to them and see how their life's going, see how their walk with the Lord's going, ask them about their family. You're usually doing that, right? Well, that's okay because, you know, you can only talk for so long on Sunday mornings before the chips and queso start calling our name, amen? But as iron sharpens iron, right? So one man sharpens another. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. But that's not a very sharp knife that only gets hit once a week, is it? And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. It's just something to think about. Occupational hazard, I guess. But, you know, I haven't been here for very long. And I already have a lot of faith in this church. You know why? Because I've heard of all the things that you've gone through. All the things that this church has been through, you've done as a family. Because you care about each other, right? You're loyal to each other. You love each other. And you're still here today because somewhere deep down, that mission is still alive. Promoting sanctification and promoting salvation. Here in Camden, Arkansas. I believe you have a heart for this community. You love it. You serve it. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 3 with me. Ephesians chapter 3. Ooh, I found this little gem the other day, and I was like, I just got to show up. My spirit would have been grieved if I didn't show you this. Look at this, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the work of his power. Although I am less than the least of all these Lord's people, this is Paul speaking, This grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of his mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. Verse 10, here it is, don't miss it. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose 
that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The manifold wisdom of God. Uh, have you ever heard those, uh, those old Baptist preachers that would get real low whenever they say, God. <clears throat> manifold. I like that word. I've been saying it all week. It gives me goosebumps. You know what manifold means? It means various, but it's a little bit more than that. It means very various. You're still not tracking with me. Okay, the Greek word that it comes from, it gives us the term polygon. Y'all remember learning about polygons in third grade? What's a polygon? It's a mini, it's a mini-sided shape or a mini-angled shape. So you're still not tracking with me. Okay, listen. Paul is saying here, this is good, listen. If you don't think it's good, just humor the preacher for a minute. Paul is saying that the church has been chosen by God to reveal all the various different angles of his wisdom to not just Camden, not just Arkansas, not just the United States, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. God has specifically chosen the church to be the vehicle through which he reveals and displays his wisdom to not just humans, but angels and demons in the heavenly realms. Charles Spurgeon once said to his congregation in his sermon on this passage, he says, And lastly, what think some of you would angels say of your walk in conversation? Well, I suppose you don't care much about them, and yet you should, for who but angels will be the reapers at the last? And who but they shall be the convoy to our spirits across that last dark stream? Who but they shall carry our spirit like that of Lazarus into the Father's bosom? Surely we should not despise them. Now, whatever you may believe the role of angels is, what he's getting at is that your life should reflect that of the master we both serve. The way Oasis Church loves and serves is being watched by Camden, yes, but even the angels are taking notes. That's what First Peter says. It says even the angels long to look into these things. That redemption that we have. We have the hope of redemption. Nothing else in the universe can say that except for God's people. We are the messengers of the love of God, and we have a duty to promote that saving grace in our daily walk, whenever we're not here. Promoting salvation. Do you know salvation's a continuous action? I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that you could lose your salvation at any time or anything like that, but I am saying that salvation works itself out in stages, past, present, and future. Look at this. You have been saved from the punishment of sin. That's what happened the moment that you, that you chose to trust Christ in his finished work on the cross. Signed, sealed, delivered, you're his forevermore. But that's just the past action of salvation because, see, you are being saved presently from the power of sin. That's the sanctification process that's happening right now in your heart. The more you become like Christ, the less power and influence sin and temptation has over you. That's, that's what's happening in the present. And then finally, you will be saved from the presence of sin. That's future. When Christ comes back to take us home, there, uh, there will be no sin in heaven, right? Because uh, 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 that's when the work of salvation is finalized. There, if there's no sin present, then there's nothing to be saved from anymore. The news, uh, the, oh, well, that news of this 
continual salvation that we are currently living in and get to hold on to. That's the greatest news in the world. But are you sharing it? Are you sharing it? The second thing I want you to get this morning is that you have to actively choose to to give hope through the gospel. You have to actively choose to give hope through the gospel. There's two resolutions a Christian has to make every day. Actively choose to let the gospel give you hope and actively choose to give hope through the gospel. If you need to make it your New Year's resolution, that's cool too. You only have 10 days to catch up on. That's not bad. Um, But that's how we be the light of the world. That's how we be the church. Paul talks, uh, that Paul talks about in Ephesians. That's the church that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. And the devil knows that if he can keep you from letting that light shine, then boom, he's won. But if he can't do that, then what he'll do is he'll try his hardest to keep your light away from other lights. Uh, 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 have you ever seen those, uh, those pictures from space at night and uh, you can just see little clusters of lights and you just know what city that is? just because it's so lit up. Well, you can't see 1077 Toltec Street from space. You just can't. But I can see New York. I can see Las Vegas, Chicago. And the same goes for Camden. The city of Camden may never see Stephen Yates, but it can see Oasis Church. If we lit it up bright enough and we were a unified community with a like-minded goal of promoting sanctification inside these doors and promoting salvation outside these doors. Uh, Oasis Church could be seen by not only Camden, but all of South Arkansas. I had to ask Billy the other day if uh, he had ever used this next illustration before because I didn't want to use it again, but it's kind of obvious and I, didn't, I can't believe he never used it. But I, I, I love our name. I love our name, Oasis. Oasis, Right? Uh, 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 you, you could not have named it any better, in my opinion. Um, but that's also a big name to live up to. Um, oh, well, look at this picture um, on the screen. This is a picture of an actual desert oasis, an actual desert oasis. And an oasis in the desert is the result of a freshwater spring that, uh, that, has, that has found its way to the surface of the ground and has been there long enough to create a hole for that water to be contained in. And because of the presence of that water, it gives life to everything that's near it. But here's the thing, they are extremely rare in desert regions. Extremely rare, for obvious reasons, I guess. But check this out. The Sahara Desert is a little over 3.5 million square miles wide. That's roughly the size of the continental United States. 3.5 million square miles. Within that Sahara Desert, there are only 90 oases found. Only 90. I'd say that's pretty rare, right? But I think it's so fitting for a time and place like this. See, we are surrounded by a dying world that has no hope, no purpose, and no life. And we have the opportunity to be a place that offers our community living water. My heart for Oasis Church is that it not just be one of the 60 church buildings in Washita County, but that it be an oasis for the thirsty, an oasis for the dying, an oasis for the hurting. That's what the church was always supposed to be. It's not a museum for good people. It's a hospital for the broken. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. 
Um, just right where you are. Just get into a posture of prayer, whatever that looks like for you. Um, but I want to invite you to join me in praying for your church over this next coming season. Um, I hope you already are, but if not, um, uh, oh, oh, that's okay. But let's make today the beginning of a daily habit of lifting your church up to the Lord. Um, this is a new season with new cha- challenges, but I have a great feeling that it's going to bring new blessings. But it's not going to happen overnight. You know the difference between the big oasis that have been in the desert for the longest? The difference between those and the little ones is they have the deepest holes. The spring that's feeding them is way down deep inside it. And those kinds of oasis, they don't just survive in the desert, they thrive. You see, I have no doubt that Oasis Camden will survive in this desert, but my question is, will it thrive? I pray that we would, and it all starts with you. Maybe you're here this morning, and you can't remember the last time you let the gospel give you hope. It's been so long since you just rested in the peace of the cross. That's something that you can start working on this morning. Ask the Lord to Just renew his love and promises to you. Maybe that's a decision that you need to make this morning, but maybe you've got no problem in that area. Maybe the next question you should be asking is, am I actively giving that hope through the gospel? Can the people around me see that? Because if not, we're we're not promoting salvation outside these doors. We're falling down on half of our job, right? I'm going to pray for us. And then Margaret is going to lead us in a song. But whatever decision you need to make today, I hope you will. The altar's open, or you can do it right there in your seat. But let's walk into this new year and new season together the right way. Father, I gave you your message. I ask that in these coming months, you would be closer to us than you ever have been. Fill this place with your spirit when we are here and fill us with your spirit when we are not. May we not be a church that seeks only to survive, but let us thrive. Give us hope every day through your gospel as we give hope every day through it. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.